Yes, welcome to Rod Gilbert's Bulging Barrel of Laughs, the show that's as funny as seeing someone putting Amanda Holden in the glass recycling bin by mistake. <laughs> and what a show we have for you tonight. I hope you don't mind me saying so, but it's packed as tightly as Gary Lineker's earmuffs. <laughs> as usual, we'll be reaching into my bulging barrel of laughs and pulling out stuff to do. Stuff like Rod's Rant Club, where we get as angry as a crocodile who recognises his late wife in a shoe shop. <laughs> Stuff like Greg's Indecent Proposals, where Greg Davis tests our moral backbone, presenting us with tempting ethical dilemmas like, would you tell your best friend if you knew his partner was sleeping around behind his back with you? (laughs) Stuff like Rod's Believe It or Not, where I will amaze and astound you with a fact so bizarre it will leave you as speechless as a shy monk with low self-esteem in a library reading a book on mime during a two-minute silence. And we'll have confessions where we reveal our deepest, darkest secrets. Yes, we'll be lifting more lids than a quality control supervisor in a yoghurt factory on the day he discovers that almost all the yoghurts have been contaminated and has to throw them into a wheelie bin whose lid won't stay up. (laughs) We'll have comedy from Mark Watson and another stage of women from Sarah Millican. All that and live music from Manchester Scar Ensemble Kid British. So, so before my barrel overflows and needs mopping up, let's get on with the show. First, let's meet my regular guests. Prior to becoming an actor and comedian, my first guest was for many years a secondary school teacher where his pupils affectionately called him the dodgy one in the drama department. (laughs) It's Greg Davis! Hello, Greg. And my next guest is living proof that you should never judge a book by its cover or a human being by what they look like. Because, despite appearances, he's never even left Europe, let alone been abducted by aliens, taken to their home planet and been repeatedly and brutally experimented upon. It's Lloyd Langford. (laughs) Hello. With my regular guests met, in a few minutes I'll unveil my bulging barrel of laughs. But before I do, playing for us live in the studio, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Kid British! Ladies and gentlemen, Kid British and Lost in London! Kid British and Lost in London, I'm really, I'm really sorry, boys. I feel really guilty about bringing you down to London and... <laughs> maybe asking you to perform down here now, is that... You're from Manchester, aren't you? Yeah, the wonderful world of Manchester. It is lovely. I got lost there once, though. <laughs> Dean's Gate's the problem, because it just goes on forever, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the, that's the nice part. Yeah, oh yeah, it was a nice bit to be lost in, if I was going to get lost at all. It wasn't uh, so, Moss Side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to get lost there. You might go missing as well. So <laughs> that sounded like a threat It does me. sound like a threat. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, this, is, uh, this is James. James, can we meet the rest of the band? Can you take us... This right. is Mikey Wilson, our drummer. Legend in Manchester. This is Adele Marchant, Carton Prime and vocals. This is Dom on guitar. And I want to say hello... To Simeon, Sean, and Tom, who ain't here. There's seven of us all together, so. Oh, I thought you were just saying hello to your mates. <laughs> no. I thought this isn't Steve Wright in the afternoon, you know. <laughs> no, those three are still on the district line. <laughs> Listen, lovely stuff, boys. Kid British will hear more from them a little bit later in the show. Give it up one more time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to welcome my bulging barrel of laughs. In the barrel, we've put all sorts of fun and games, and during the course of the show, I will call upon Lloyd to reach as far into my barrel as he physically can and pull us out something to do. (laughs) 
So without further ado, Lloyd, would you please be so bold as to slam your hand into my barrel? <laughs> what is it, Lloyd? Well, Rod, you'll be happy to know it's confessions. Hooray! Yes, first up it is confessions, where you tell us your innermost secrets and we tell the rest of the world so they can laugh about it. <laughs> Did you feed the wrong end of the donkey at Blackpool Pleasure Beach? <laughs> Did you call a dinner lady mum in school and then go home with her and let her bath you? Even though you're a member of staff. <laughs> a dodgy one in the drama department, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Tonight, the cause of our blushes is teenage years. Yes, in the best and worst years of your life, we want to know what embarrassing things you did as a teenager. Now, as usual, um, on this show, we put these things out on the internet, on Facebook, on the BBC Comedy website, and uh, we see what comes in, basically. And we have some in here. This one came in from Dan in Cardiff. It says, I was trying to impress a girl named Lucy when I was a teenager and decided to wrap my leg around the back of my head. <laughs> Come on, that always impresses a girl, doesn't it? <laughs> Give us a cheer if you're a girl and you'd be impressed if I could wrap my leg around the back of my head. <laughs> I can't, unfortunately. <laughs> Dan says, my trousers failed me and exploded. <laughs> it's the simplicity of that, isn't it? There's no beating about them. My trousers exploded. <laughs> Is that actually possible? I went home wearing a man nappy made out of Lucy's shirt. <laughs> Listen to this. Vicky says, We tried to do an all-nighter once in a local park when we were kids. By 3am, we were freezing, so I decided everyone could come back to my house. When we got there, I found my dad had double-locked the door as a punishment for staying out so late. <laughs> I telephoned the house. My dad angrily hung up on me. Ten minutes later, he opened the front door, completely naked. <laughs> there were ten teenage girls in the garden. <laughs> but then for some inexplicable reason shouted at all of them, if you've got nowhere else to go, you better come in, but no funny business. <laughs> Dina says, as a teenager, my brother decided he was going to bleach his hair. We decided not to tell him you can't use Domestos. <laughs> he lost all his hair and went into hospital for minor scalp burns. <laughs> a happy ending there. The best, I think the most embarrassing thing I've ever done was when I, you know, when you're a kid, like, villains are cool, aren't they? Bond villains and stuff. I highlighted one of my eyes with a highlighter pen. <laughs> what, your actual eye? The actual eyeball, the white of the eye, I highlighted... <laughs> really? Yep. That must have been incredibly painful. It was incredibly painful. <laughs> yeah. What, what colour did you go for? Green. Ah. I don't think the blue ones were out. Right. At that point, yeah, it was a green one, and I had an actual, actual white idea, yeah. And didn't, it, it didn't work. It worked? Not really, no. Right. Did what, it, are you surprised by that? It, yeah, it worked, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, three months, that was really cool. <laughs> Don't try and turn this on me like I'm the plum. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> I, and another one I did was, I, branding was a big, well, it still is, isn't it? Branding is a real kind of peer pressure thing for kids. And I can remember my parents would never, you know, buy us branded anything. And my mum bought me a <laughs> pair of trainers in Tesco. <laughs> and if you remember trainers, Tesco's in the 1970s. They, does anybody remember them? Yeah. They had a big yellow S on them, which I told everyone in my school was for Slazinger. <laughs> and Peter Randall's mother worked in Tesco's and uh, pointed out that they weren't Slazinger at all, they were, in fact, Tesco's own, for which uh, I got the shit kicked out of me. <laughs> 
and people used to play branding tricks on me for quite some time in school. Like uh, my little black school shoot, somebody would tip X like a Nike swoosh and three, <laughs> <laughs> and three Adidas stripes down the did, side of it in tip didn't, didn't you uh, scare them off with your yellow eye? Uh, unfortunately, my green eye didn't last that long, Lloyd, I'm afraid. Uh, I, asked, I asked my mum to buy me a Manchester United kit for Christmas once. Yeah, yeah and when I opened it, she bought me... That is embarrassing, said somebody in the audience. Yeah. Well, That's I, it, end of story. I, I never liked football, I just wanted to be part of the gang, really, because everybody liked Manchester United. When I opened it on Christmas Day, she bought me a Stoke City kit. <laughs> and when, when I told her about her mistake, she went, Are you talking about it's red, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> My parents did like, almost exactly the same sort of thing, where I, I asked for a Starsky and Hutch T-shirt, you know, and my parents thought it would be a really good idea. They, they, they came back with a T-shirt, right, Starsky and Hutch on the front as a transfer, but above it, Rodri. Which <laughs> 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 is just the uncoolest thing to have. A picture of Starsky and Hutch with your own... That's my name, by the way, is Rod. Is Rodri is my full name. Nobody got... That never would have caught on, would it? Rodri, <laughs> Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> <laughs> Just you riding around Los Angeles on a donkey. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that with Huggy Bear? <laughs> what's, well, going, what's going down? <laughs> I'll tell you what, Lloyd, have you got any embarrassing stories before I move on to some of the ones that have come in from our studio audience? Yeah, when I was a teenager, I went on holiday to uh, Spain with my parents and uh, there was a Swedish girl who was also on holiday with her parents and uh, I wanted to impress her. Uh, I really fancied her. So I decided to start talking to her uh, in a French accent. <laughs> uh, in, in Can you imagine Lloyd's voice in a French accent? Given, given your mastery of English, it's already... <laughs> it's going to be a problem. The other thing was, I'd been speaking to her for six days in a Welsh accent. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a sort of last-ditch attempt to appear sort of more sophisticated and cultured. <laughs> Can you give us an example? Yeah, so, for example, like, we were sat on the roof of the hotel. It's a beautiful evening, and I would say something like, don't you think the stars... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, my instant reaction is to want to pull my pants down. <laughs> Talking about trying to impress uh, girls or boys, this is quite it's such a teenage thing, and this is from Carol, right? I was 15, walking along trying to impress a boy, I walked into a lamppost, right? Fair enough. That was bad enough, but I also put my arms around it and apologised. <laughs> uh, Angelo says, thinking that Viagra was a type of energy pill, as my older brother told me, I took a load to help me in swimming. <laughs> That was also, coincidentally, the lesson my family decided to come and watch. If you, uh, if you uh, learn to sort of utilise it, then you could maybe use it as some sort of rudimentary rudder. <laughs> it's quite rudimentary, isn't it? <laughs> unless, unless they were doing the backstroke, of course. I decided to wax my own bikini line for the first time. I sat on a lino floor in front of the TV, slapped the wax on and waited for it to dry. I soon realised I had the wrong wax, was stuck to the lino, couldn't move. (laughs) 
My flatmate had to scrape me off the floor with an egg spatter and baby oil. <laughs> an egg spatula, I don't even know that. Michelle, that is in Battle Park. It's time now for me to choose a, a loser of the week, and I, I'm going to go for... I don't know, that might be, a, might be a controversial choice, but I'm going to go for Carol, who walked into a lamppost and then I put her arms around it and apologised. <laughs> I really like that story. Carol, where are you? Congratulations, you are loser of the week. <laughs> so, with our loser crowned, our confessions are over for another week, but don't worry, there's plenty more losers where Carol came from. Let's go back to the barrel of laughs. Lloyd, would you kindly reach into my barrel and tell us what's next? <laughs> next up, Rod, it's your Believe It or Not. Ah, yes! Yes, it is. It is my Believe It or Not. This is where I amaze and astound the world with the fact that will do to your mind what spending a year living in a cage with a gorilla would do for your tennis whites. Are you ready to have your brains plastered with gorilla shit? Some people have so much electricity in their bodies, they can switch on lights and electrical appliances. I, I should point out, for those of you who have not heard this section before, it really irritates me because Rod genuinely believes all of these things. But this is genuinely... <laughs> he is the most gullible internet surfer of all time. <laughs> I'm not. But I'm not talking about people having a bit of static when they lift up a jumper and their hair sticking up or rubbing a balloon on their head or getting a little electric shock off the car door. I'm talking about people that can actually go under street lamps and turn them on and off at will. <laughs> I'm talking about people who can change channel on a television just by looking at it. Well, Listen to some of these testimonials. Not my words. These, Bill, I thought nothing of it, right? So he's a sceptic like you. Yeah. You miserable old bat. <laughs> Bill. I thought nothing of it. I read the other entries on this website. I have a 1986 Pontiac Firebird. At times the cruise control goes on by itself and the signal lights don't work. Right? If that's not enough for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah because a 1986 Pontiac's going to be entirely reliable, isn't it? <laughs> All right, don't believe that. What about Thomas? I'm only 17, but I've always been able to tell when some electrical appliance is on in my house. Oh. <laughs> I, I, Rod. No, no, Rod. <laughs> I just realised I've got a similar sort of skill. Oh, here we go. Because, uh, like, if I'm in the living room, I know when the blender is on or not. <laughs> well, he said... But, all right, blender's easy. Do you know what he's best at? Let me I'm... guess, light bulbs? <laughs> no, he says I'm best with TVs. <laughs> <laughs> all right. He, he charges electricity, this kid. He's got the, a few years ago, I purchased a watch and it would gain and lose as much as half an hour in the course of no more than five minutes. You, you bought a watch like that in Thailand? Yes, yes. I did. <laughs> you must have magical powers as well. <laughs> Listen, Greg, Greg does it. What? Remember you broke your computer in Edinburgh? <laughs> yeah, Greg did break my computer in Edinburgh. You're right, Obviously, that I've got mystical powers. <laughs> no, you had a potato gun. <laughs> And in the same month as well, he broke the toilet seat. Toilet seat? You sat on that and it snapped? Yeah. <laughs> Is there no end to my magical powers? <laughs> Listen to this. Sabi says, my sister disrupts electrical connections. It most often occurs when she's upset. I have to say, there is a lot of that. It's usually when people are very emotional or upset. And she can also create very localised atmospheric disruptions, such as rain or high wind. <laughs> <laughs> Zhang in China, who he charges... <laughs> always China, isn't it? Whenever there's some weird phenomena, it's always in China. Oh, what about this one? Chang in Birmingham. 
who charges himself up on a 220-volt mains adapter, and then do you know what he does with his power once he's ch- fully charged? Shan? I imagine he uses it to power a computer so he can write total lies on the internet. <laughs> no, he doesn't, Greg. He can cook a live fish on his abdomen in just two minutes. <laughs> Do you know what his friends call him? They call oh. him a liar. <laughs> no. Just by a cheer now, who believes my fact? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> I'm sick of this. <laughs> by way of a poxy cheer, who doesn't? Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we've got some stand-up comedy now. Are you up for that? Yeah. Please welcome to the stage a wonderful stand-up comedian, a good friend and a lovely chap, Mr Mark Watson! Thank you. Uh, generous welcome there. It's always nice, these first few seconds in front of an audience. Very nerve-wracking. I can imagine, you know, strangers and there you are, just talking. I mean, quite a brave thing to do, really. I don't like the word hero, you know. But it's, it's, uh, I feel like the press have applied it to me too many times, you know. I'm just a normal guy with trousers on. But even so, yeah, quite sort of, um, quite nerve-wracking. And if you're listening at home, uh, which you will be, I've, um, I've got a glass of wine in my hand, quite a large glass as well. So, um, alarming, really, for the audience. Uh, <laughs> sort of, quite clearly, I'm the sort of person that if this were to go badly, I might, uh, well, it might be the end for me. I'm, uh, sort of on a knife edge psychologically. But no, it's just a glass of wine. No need to worry. Not an alcoholic. <laughs> I've got a baby, though, so it's almost the same thing, really. Yeah, um, the experience of having a baby, bringing up a baby, is much the same as you're always tired. You constantly feel out of control of your, uh, life. And uh, it's been a bit of a, a shock to me, really. As you will have gathered, I'm not the most confident person. Um, even if you can't see me, you'll have got an impression from listening to, of the sort of person I am. A shy person, really. A lot of comedians are real extroverts and they're really energetic. My natural demeanour is as if, well, I shouldn't really have been born, but I'm getting on with it. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I should have that on a T-shirt, really. Uh, and that doesn't... See, I mean, I don't really like bullishly confident people. I've always been really turned off by uh, that kind of arrogance, you know. A lot of really successful people, otherwise excellent people, their confidence sort of ruins it. Muhammad Ali, for example, who's always been some, an icon, uh, rightly to a lot of people, but still very boastful. You know, Muhammad Ali used to, in press conferences, he used to say, I'm so quick, I can put the light off in my bedroom and I'm in bed before it's dark. <laughs> right? I know, well, anyone can do that, just get a bedside light. Yeah, <laughs> it's, Hardly a superpower, that's a trip to Ikea, Mohammed. But nonetheless, you see, it's people like that that seem to get the breaks. And I sometimes I do increasingly wish I was more confident. I'm not sure if I should share with you or not, because this is quite dangerous if it catches on. But I've started booing people uh, if, if they don't thank me for... Or in fact, for general, any sort of uh, abuses of politeness. I'd really like to see this catch on. If you... Any sort of sporting event or pantomime or in a number of contexts in life, if you don't like what someone's doing, you can just boo them. But in the streets, it's generally not accepted that we can boo each other. I think it should be. I think if you hold a door open for someone they don't thank you, you should just boo them. Um... <laughs> Uh, it's an approach which has its limits. It works best if you're rapidly walking past someone, I find this. Um, <laughs> I t- also, you have to sort of pick your victim quite carefully. I said this to my, my wife tried this out without warning me. Um, this guy walked past with a big sort of double bass or something, some big musical instrument, and he was swinging it quite rashly, and he whacked my wife quite hard on the thigh, didn't apologise, and as he was disappearing, my wife just went, boo! And the guy looked absolutely mortified. I've never seen someone with a big cello or something look quite so disempowered. It was me that got punched in the face, of course. Uh, <laughs> that is the thing. Uh, yeah, I think I'm sort of a... 
you know, something of a soft touch. But I'm trying to improve, I'm trying to be more of an alpha male. It's quite alarming when you find out you're going to be a dad and suddenly there'll be a person, you know, who looks up to you. And it was, we found out the sex as well, it was going to be a boy. Um, so suddenly I was confronted with the idea that there'd be a, a tiny man in the world whose idea of what it meant to be a man uh, was me. And, um, <laughs> I mean, that wasn't one of the scheduled jokes, but... Uh, <laughs> sort of crushing to get a laugh for... Uh, <laughs> the idea that I might have a part to play in continuing the human race. But nonetheless, you're right. Your laughter is telling. I, I'm clearly not the sort of person that really should be doing that. I don't feel that I've absorbed many of the lessons that I was taught when I was a kid. Like, one of the big things they taught us when I, I was young was, um, don't get in anyone's car, someone offers you sweets, anything, don't get in there, all this kind of thing. But even at the age of 30 now, you know, I... Uh, it's chocolate digesters, for example. I've got an enormous weakness for those. If we go out on the street tonight after this and someone's dangling a packet of chocolate digesters out the window of a car and they say, get in, we're going to Watford, I'll be in that car for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no questions asked, you know. Uh, it'd be some while, a couple of hours driving before I said, yeah, are we really going to Watford here? And you've missed a couple of... And also, can I at least have a biscuit? You know... <laughs> If anything, as I get older, I think I feel less and less equal to, you know, the various challenges of life. I'm definitely becoming more, sort of, curmudgeonly. I'm becoming more and more like an old man in all sorts of ways. I've started um, saying things out, like describing what, I do, what I'm doing. That's a, sheer, a sign you're becoming a dad. If you start, you can't just come in, open the door, see what's on the telly. You have to come in and say, oh, just get the door open, just put my shoes off, we'll just see what's on the telly. And you don't need to describe these actions. The fact that you're doing them speaks volumes, really. You know. Um... But that's just the start of it, you see. The older you get, the more... I've started complaining about things a lot. I always used to complain about things. Now I'm getting more and more wound up with the sort of thing which middle-aged people do get wound up by. Like, poor service. Like, for example, the difficulty of getting a taxi. Last time I was in this... Uh, even the phrase, service... Is, you've got to be at least 30 before you start saying, I didn't like the service, mate. So, <laughs> I'll tell you what I'll start doing soon. I'll start trying to... This annoys me so much when people do this, uh, trying to order things that aren't there on the menu. You know, there's a perfectly good menu... But a person of a certain age or a certain sort of grumpiness will go, can you, can you do a risotto? And, of course, the staff will always say, oh, I'll have to ask the chef. What you should say is, no, because it's not on the menu. Right? Uh, that's the purpose of a menu, to delineate the things you can and can't have. Uh, otherwise, you might as well put menu, everything in the world. Off you go. A menu's not meant to be a springboard for the whims of your imagination. Uh, a menu is a guide to what you can and can't experience. Uh, can you get me an alligator? No, it's not on the menu, you see. Uh, there you are, you see. It doesn't matter, Mark. Just leave it. Um, yes, poor service. Last time I was in the King's Cross area, uh, where this show is being recorded, I tried to get a taxi home. Uh, and there was a difficulty in such a seemingly simple... I was ordering this taxi on the phone. Oh, it was the amount of faffing, to use uh, the sort of word I may as well start using now. That's, that's my mum's word. Faffing's my mum's word. Um, I had to first... First of all, I rang up, can I have a taxi, please? Uh, was King's Cross Station was my location. So, I mean, you'll have heard of King's Cross Station. Uh, this lady hadn't, though, seemingly. So, uh, sorry, I, um, I need a postcode. I said, well, I don't know... The, obviously, I don't know the postcode, but it's, it's, King, it's King, you know, King's Cross. King's Cross from Pancras. Sorry, she said, we can't send a taxi without the postcode. Do you not know the... She was quite abrasive. Do you not know the postcode? She said, harshly. Well, no, I, I didn't mail myself here, you see. I, uh, <laughs> you know... I, uh, uh, but you'll spot it. It's got trains going in and out of it regularly, you know. It's a, and this is, in fact, except it didn't have, because this was about one in the morning, so I wasn't really in the mood. I didn't have the time for this sort of thing, really. Uh, then she said, are there any more details you can give me? I said, well, how many more details could you put in? This is King's Cross. Anyway, so this went on for a bit. Um, in the end, I had to hell one in the street, and it, in the rain, the whole process was more than half an hour wasted. So last time I rang up for a taxi, 
I was much better prepared. Uh, it was the same taxi firm, so I knew the question was coming. Can you give me any more details? This time I said, yes, King's Cross Station was built in 1832. <laughs> um, it's, um, I'd been on Wikipedia by this time, you see. Uh, um, it cost 125,000, but I had all sorts of statistics. There was a fire there in the 80s, and it's full, I ended with the postcode triumphantly. It's full postcode, N19APX. Now, can I please have a taxi? Uh, and they sent one pretty quickly that time. <laughs> of course, I wasn't really there. I was at home. Uh, uh, thank you very much, Mark. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mark Watson. Without further ado, let's go back to the barrel. Lloyd, pitch yourself in headfirst into my bulging barrel and tell us what's next. <laughs> It's Greg's Indecent Proposals. Yes, it's my Indecent Proposals. All right. (laughs) Indecent Proposal number one. Who wouldn't want the gift of eternal life? But for the gift of eternal life, would you agree to attend every funeral you have to attend accompanied by the Chuckle Brothers? (laughs) What, so I've got eternal life, and so... And, uh, Do the Chuckle Brothers also have eternal life? Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be taking the corpse of the Chuckle Brothers to... Uh... <laughs> oh, I'd do that. <laughs> so you'd take the Chuckle Brothers if they were dead? Can you imagine turning up to somebody's funeral with a dead Chuckle Brother? <laughs> I hope this doesn't steal your thunder. It would, it would lighten the mood. Oh, but I'm not turning on anyone's toes, am I? <laughs> Probably the Chuckle Brothers. <laughs> from, from what I know about the Chuckle Brothers, though... Which is what? Yeah. yeah what, what exactly do you know about the well, Chuckle Brothers? Well, I've seen that uh, long-running documentary about their lives. <laughs> Brilliant the way they cut it up into ten-minute sections, isn't it? They're, 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 sort of, they're sort of constantly japing around. Oh. Oh! They're, they're, right. they're proper pranksters, the Chuckle Brothers. But I want to make it clear that when they attend the funeral with you, they will behave entirely appropriately. They won't be, like, grabbing the coffin and going to me, to you. Or well, in that case, surely, surely, where's the jeopardy if they're just going to be two normal blokes with moustaches and... Qu- well, I, th- I think that throughout history, uh, your experience of funerals will be littered by people whispering behind your back, has he brought the child? <laughs> I think they'd only do that for the first 50 or 60 years. Really? And then they'd catch on and think, he's got the Chuckle Brothers again. <laughs> Right, I'm going to ask you as an audience, just by way of a cheer, who would... (laughs) I've just had one of those moments where I realised how old I am. (laughs) Who here would... Have you pissed yourself again? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a continuous stream here, (laughs) Dave. Out of the audience, who here would accept eternal life if the caveat was you had to take the Chocolate Brothers to every single funeral? Yeah. Who, who would not? Yeah. Ooh, wow. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> Isn't that and that's that? the end of Greg's Indecent <laughs> Proposals. Let's go back to the barrel. Lloyd, do a tom thumb and plunge a digit into my bulging barrel and tell us what's next. Next up, Rod, it's It's a Setup. 
Yes, it's it's a setup, a very simple game. I will provide a punchline, and my guests, Greg and Lloyd, have to provide the setup to the joke. Greg and Lloyd, your time starts now. Your first punchline is Cliff. Montgomery Clift was a famous actor. How would someone who can't say their T's pronounce his surname? <laughs> Greg, what would the worst position for a manic depressive's drop-in centre be? <laughs> Name one of the trio of attractions that makes Three Cliffs Bay in Swansea such a popular destination. <laughs> you could have had in the Bible what name did Mary and Joseph first give to their son before God gave them a bollocking. <laughs> Your second punchline is a frog in a liquidizer. A frog in a liquidizer. What do you mean, oh, it's a kid's joke. <laughs> what got me kicked off MasterChef? <laughs> What exhibit would make a petting zoo more attractive to inner-city kids? <laughs> How would the Sun newspaper report it if Nicolas Sarkozy lost his finger in a terrible blending accident? <laughs> Our next punchline is, there's footprints in the custard. What euphemism is ineffective for describing a genital rash to a doctor? <laughs> I've got one. How do you know when Gazza's been in your fridge looking for lager? <laughs> what was Sophie Ellis Baxter's disappointing follow-up to murder on the dance floor? <laughs> and that noise tells me it's the end of it's a setup. We'll have more jokes that need work on than Joe Pasquale's greatest hits next time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome to the stage with another stage of women, Sarah Millican! Hello again. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's mostly men in the show, so I'm here to redress the balance. Uh, think of me as the tomato in the mixed grill. <laughs> the romantic subplot in a zombie film. <laughs> or oh, the herbal essences amongst Asda's own shampoo and conditioner combined. <laughs> Somebody just wooed. <laughs> Cheap conditioner. Well done, pet. <laughs> the third of the six ages of women is regeneration. Regeneration generally comes late 20s, early 30s, and it's a bit like Doctor Who. If, at the end of the last series, your happy relationship turned to shite. <laughs> And the new doctor has much shorter hair, new clothes and cries while drinking wine. <laughs> we all have that one breakup that makes you swear off relationships for life and changes how you see the world, usually through tears and punching and chocolate hobnobs. <laughs> I got divorced at the end of my 20s and the day we split up, we lay on the sofa one last time and I asked him to say something, something meaningful that would remind me of this moment and think with affection about our eight years together. He went quiet looked up at the ceiling as if for inspiration, and said, I've never had a chandelier before. <laughs> that was my moment. I moved back in with my parents, and they very sweetly took me to Ikea to get some bits for your room. While we were wandering round, I spotted a cord stand called Knob Rack. <laughs> and my dad said, you could buy that and hang Andy off it. <laughs> 
my mum took me sexy nighty shopping in Marxies. <laughs> I saw one I liked and she flung it on the floor saying, well, that's where it'll end up. <laughs> my dad tried to get me to listen to a song called It's Over by Roy Orbison. It has the lyric, you won't be seeing rainbows anymore. <laughs> He thought it would help till he googled the lyrics and saw a link at the bottom of the page to the Samaritans. <laughs> During this time, I took an assertiveness test at my office job. Turns out I wasn't remotely assertive. I turned into a doormat. One of the girls saw how gutted I was and tried to rally me round, saying, You were assertive when we made you take your jeans back. <laughs> when we made you take your jeans back. Dating seemed terrifying, so I started by smiling at men I didn't know. Workmen, milkmen, old men. A friend of mine used to perv at the young lad who packed her bags in Tesco's. When I went in, it was a little old man who was a bit slow. <laughs> Nothing to perv at here. But I always feel uncomfortable whenever anyone helps me, so while he was packing me bags, I made small talk with the woman on the till. I said, now I just need to take him home so he can help us unpack them. And she leaned in really close and said in a hushed tone, oh, I don't think they'd allow that. <laughs> I had to go to family planning again. And just before I left, I said to my dad, this will be the first time I've been to family planning where I haven't had a boyfriend or husband in tow. He thought a bit and then he said, that's because you're freelance now. <laughs> Which is obviously code for slut. <laughs> The regeneration is a great age for women. When it happens, you think nothing will ever be as good as Christopher Eccleston. But then David Tennant saves the world by throwing a satsuma. <laughs> and you can't remember what all the fuss was about. The new you is always the best you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Millican. So, let's go back to our barrel and find out what's happening next. Lloyd, stick your arm in the barrel in a Ricci style and tell us. <laughs> next up, it's Rod's Run Club. Yay! Yes, indeed, it is Rod's Run Club. The first rule of Run Club is... Run No. <laughs> Don't talk about Rant Club. These days, everyone's as stressed out as a beekeeper who's just opened his hive, only to realise that in his rush to get ready, he's put his old cricket whites on by mistake. In these difficult times, we need a place where we, the great unwashed, can whinge and moan to our heart's content. A place where we can let off a little bit of steam, like Zhang, the human hob, lightly poaching a red snapper on his stomach. <laughs> Tonight, the cause of our irritations, the vuvuzela in our funeral service is... Irritating products. Um, this is from Jess, who is in our studio audience tonight. Says trousers and skirts that come with belts on. Who do they think I am? Some sort of beltless freak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone equally incensed about pointless things. Mary, the load of air you get in a bag of crisps. What? <laughs> She says, the load of air you get in a bag of crisps really annoys me. I paid for Monster Munch. If I wanted pickled onion smelling air, I'd hang around with my little sister. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, Lloyd, have you got anything that, uh, that irritates you about products and stuff? Yeah, I was, um, I was in the supermarket the other day, and they've got a guy demonstrating a product, and he said to me, Sir, 
would you be interested in owning the world's sharpest knife? And I was like, I don't really think I'm ready for that kind of responsibility. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm chopping celery, not diamonds. And he went, oh, I'll, I'll give you a free sample. The, bear in mind, it's the world's sharpest knife. It's the sharpest piece of metal in the world. He gives it to me in a cardboard box. I was like, I'm going to put this in with my veg and it's going to get out of the box and then I'm going to have to have a stir-fry tonight whether I want one or not. <laughs> I just get really paranoid if I'm cutting something with it that I'll exert too much pressure and go through the chopping board <laughs> and kill the bloke in the flat downstairs. <laughs> my mum told me last winter that she was feeling a bit miserable so I bought her one of those sad lamps. Have you seen those? Oh, seasonal affective. Seasonal disorder. And I gave it to her, and I saw her using it the next morning, and it made me feel really sad. Um, <laughs> so I joined her, and then my sister and father came in and saw us both sitting around the sad lamp, and <laughs> it made them feel a bit sad, so they joined us around the sad lamp. We were there for six months, and then social services got involved. <laughs> I've got a little bit of a rant, ladies and gentlemen. My rant this week is one very close to my heart, and anyone who's seen me do stand-up will know that I have a bit of a thing about stupid products. Um, before I go any further, I should introduce you to my big book of rants, ladies and gentlemen. Give it a cheer, ladies! <laughs> Uh, the big book of rants. I mean, basically, we all hate people, I think, as we've established, trying to get us to part with our cash for things we don't need. But more than that, it's the patronising uh, that gets to me, really. The language they use, the way they treat us like idiots. Like Lloyd says, the world's sharpest knife. Yeah, what happens if I sharpen it? <laughs> How stupid do you think we are? And do you know what bugs me even more than that? It's the, it's the fact that they're right. We are stupid. We fall for it. We're all idiots. They sit around inventing these stupid, pointless products, sell them with facile advertising and marketing gimmicks, and we lap it up. For example... Nobody, and I mean nobody, nobody needs a toothbrush with onboard computer. <laughs> Are you with me? Yeah. Have you seen it? It's, I saw them in Boots in Superdrive. It's advertised on TV, a toothbrush with onboard computer. Let me tell you a thing or two about toothbrushes. All a toothbrush needs to be is the combination of some very simple things. A, bristly bits, and B, something to hold the bristly bits in place making the bristles into an implement that can be regarded as a sort of brush, <laughs> allowing you to move the tool around your mouth. And if you're feeling incredibly decadent and on a promise with someone way out of your league, possibly throw in a thing on the other side to scrape the shit off your tongue. <laughs> That's it. Anything else is overkill, in my opinion. In my craziest moments, you could even persuade me that an electric toothbrush is a good idea. But I'll tell you one thing off the bat that you don't need on a toothbrush, and that is a computer. In fact, you could arrange the things you don't need on a toothbrush in ascending order of pointlessness and computer would be right up there with bird feeder saddle and annotated history of Scottish reggae music. <laughs> the only thing you could include on a toothbrush that would be more pointless than a computer would be a McFlurry ruddy lid. That is the only... <laughs> I said, to the, I said to the bloke in the shop, I said, my God, this toothbrush with onboard computer is quite something, isn't it? He said, it certainly is. I said, so if I buy it, do I, do I throw my laptop away? <laughs> he said, I'm sorry. I said, can I part exit from my existing laptop? How does it work, this? Because at the moment, I'm taking a toothbrush and a computer when I go on tour. This could be, this, this could be the space-saving solution I've been looking for. <laughs> he said, you don't understand. It's not really a computer in that sense. I said, not a computer in that sense? I said, does it do PowerPoint? He said, no. <laughs> 
I said, Word? No. Excel? No. I said, Can I check my emails? No. I said, Has it got the internet? No. DVD player? No. I said, Has it got a calculator, calendar, iTunes, garage band? Does it connect to a printer? What's the memory on it? Is it Windows, XP, USB, or Bluetooth? He said, It tells you how many times you've used the toothbrush. I said, You what? He said, It tells you how many times you've used the toothbrush. That's as well as the computer, is it? Or... He said, no, you don't understand. It just tells you how many times you've used the toothbrush. And I said, so it won't replace my current setup completely. <laughs> he said, no, sir. I said, well, no problem, not to worry. It'll still save me taking my abacus into the bathroom and <laughs> stop the kids scratching five bar gates on the wall. He said, do you want it then? I said, no, I don't. He said, oh, I said, do you want to know why I don't want it? I don't want it because I don't care how many times I've used my toothbrush. I don't care to the nearest thousand times how many times I've used my toothbrush. I don't care if I've used my toothbrush more or fewer times than any other person on this planet. Have you ever known anyone ever in the history of mankind who has kept a record of how many times they have used their toothbrush? Do you know anyone who's going to get one of these and think, at last, now I can throw out all those paper records? This should free up a few shelves in the study. Get the keys to the filing cabinet, darling. I'm having a clear out. The digital age is upon us. I said to him, I said, I'm going to say something here that may surprise you, mate. I said, I care less about how many times I've used my toothbrush than I do about how many times I've said the name John in my life. If, I, if you were to offer me a toothbrush right now that could tell me how many times I'd said the name John in my life, I'd probably go for it ahead of this toothbrush. <laughs> He said, but a toothbrush that tells you how many times you've said the name John is useless. He said, with this one, you know when to buy a new toothbrush. I said, with a toothbrush that tells me how many times I've said the name John, I know when to buy a new toothbrush. Because <laughs> I know when to buy a new toothbrush, period. Do you think I've been using the same toothbrush all my life? I said, I know when to buy a new toothbrush. I don't need some pseudo-intelligent toothbrush to remind me. In fact, you could employ a toothbrush to try and get me to forget. To try and foil me getting a new toothbrush. You could employ a sort of Kato toothbrush whose sole job it was to sabotage my efforts to buy a new toothbrush. <laughs> I still have a new toothbrush. I, I buy a new toothbrush, mate, when I accidentally drop my acting toothbrush down the toilet. <laughs> or when I leave my existing toothbrush at a friend's house. Or when a toothbrush has started out looking as neat and tidy as Des O'Connor now looks more like Ken Dodd. When he's, when he's just got out of bed on National Bad Hair Day, I buy a new toothbrush when my toothbrush starts to look like it should be kept under the stairs or in the shed rather than in the bathroom. That's when I buy a new toothbrush. I said, there's really nothing to it. It's simple. The exact number of times I've used it is irrelevant. You seriously think I'm going to come home, catch my partner cleaning dog poo off her shoes with it, grab it back off her, check the onboard computer and say, hang on, love, that's got two goes left on it. That nom, 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 nom. He said, it's got a timer on it as well. I said, a timer? It's got a timer, has it? Well, I take it all back and retract everything I said about it being pointless if it's got a timer on it. Why didn't you say that in the first place? A toothbrush with a timer, that's a different thing altogether. I could do with a timer on my toothbrush. He said, really? I said, yes, I frequently clean my teeth while trying to break other records. <laughs> but it tells you how long you've been brushing your teeth. I said I couldn't give a build-up of plaque how long I've been brushing my teeth. What's the worst that can happen if I don't know how long I've been brushing my teeth? I lose track of time, plough on into the night. Two weeks later, when the milk bottles start building up on my doorstep, my, my concerned neighbours decide to call social services and they break down my door to find me still cleaning my teeth in a bathroom full from floor to ceiling with froth. 
I don't want this toothbrush computer any more than I want the hairdryer with Skype you've got in the window. Or that, or that loofah with built-in immobiliser over there. It's a load of crap, mate. Calling the thing on board this toothbrush a computer makes me laugh in the same way calling the bloke that serves the tea and nukes the toasties on board a train a chef. <laughs> And anyway, my mate had one of these. He bought one of these toothbrush computers of yours. He only had it ten minutes and the toothbrush crashed. He didn't know whether to take it to Boots or PC World. He didn't know whether... <laughs> he didn't know whether to rinse it out or reboot it. When, when he did take it back, they had to send it away for three months. He eventually got it back, left it on the back seat of his car, came back an hour later and the ruddy thing had been nicked. <laughs> Put a brick through his window and half inch it. Oh, it was the computer they were after, obviously. <laughs> Now he's lost both. He's down a toothbrush and a computer. He's got bad breath and he can't even update his Facebook status to tell anyone. (laughs) I think we both know where you can stick your toothbrush. (laughs) There endeth my rant on... Ladies and gentlemen, here to play us out, please welcome back Kid British and winner! Ladies and gentlemen, Kid British and winner! Thank you very much. Good night! Rod Gilbert's bulging barrel of laughs starred Rod Gilbert, Greg Davis, Lloyd Lackford, Sarah Millican, with guests Mark Watson and Keith British. It was written by Rod Gilbert, Lloyd Lackford, and Greg Davis. The producers were Lee 